Okay, 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 here we are. Before I do that, I'd like to invite my gorgeous, wonderful and beautiful wife up here. Uh, not to say anything, just to look beautiful. No, not true. She has an urgent and, uh, well, not urgent, but it's an important message. I do have an important message. You know, who thinks we have wonderful people in this church? We have wonderful people who contribute in all sorts of ways. And who this thinks morning, my wife's gorgeous? I just, shh. Oh, sorry. Shall we get him off? Um, this morning, I just want to highlight something that you may or may not have noticed as you came in today, that we have new little coffee tables out the front. Who noticed those? No, honestly, not many, right? You're going to go and have a look afterwards. Uh, I just want to thank Reuben. Reuben, can you just stand up? I'm not going to totally embarrass you, just embarrass you. <laughs> I just want to thank Reuben. Reuben put those together for us, and he's done an absolute... <laughs> so much we so appreciate it and they look fan I know I know Ben had to do with it as well um, it's but hard to yeah Ben put the tops on you made the bottom <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't we don't want to sort of lift family up too much so looks well, looks like looks like nepotism let's just be honest Ruben you did the most of the work yeah just just go yes <laughs> Yeah, the important stuff. No, they look they look fantastic. Thank you so much. They look I wonderful. <laughs> now, also before we go on, um, last weekend we had uh, some baptisms. Yes. Had a fantastic time. And I just want to thank Bill and Susan for opening up their home to us. And um, I know that Bill spent, he doesn't want me to say, but he spent ages getting the, the place yeah. in top-notch condition for us. It always looks beautiful. He's there anyway, with his scuba all, suit on, scrubbing yeah, the bottom of the pool. Extra clean. <laughs> but also, all the beautiful cakes and so on that we had for afternoon tea, Susan made those. We were supposed to share, and she just did the lot. So, wonderful. Thank you so much. Yes. You did a fantastic job. And it was great that we actually baptised ten people last week. I think we've got a, a, a few images of some of the people who were baptised. Uh, can everybody who was baptised is here this morning, just stand up in your seats. Let's give them a round of applause. Come on, stand up. Come on, stay standing. Don't be shy. It's a great, great step in people's walk of faith. Now you can sit down. Five out of ten, that's not bad. Five here. Yes, we, we shall be writing a stern letter to the others. Especially Will. Will's He's actually gone back to the United States on the weekend, yeah. so we've... Yeah, the baptism had a really interesting effect. <laughs> he is. We've sent him out as a missionary already. I did prophesy that over him at the baptism. Mind you, I didn't know he was leaving already. We do apologise that we haven't put up everybody because we'd be here too long. But that's a glimpse for those of you that weren't there. Thank you. Here are your notes. You forgot the last one on there. Tell Chrissy's awesome. <laughs> anyway, uh, I thought, who feels that they've got a, a lot out of Galatians this year? Good, because we're stopping. I sort of thought that we might sort of have an ending flourish or something, but we're not. 
Last week was the end, the finish. This week we're starting something new. Because it's the road to Christmas. You didn't even know there was a road, did you? You thought it just happened. But I think Christmas, like any other time of the year that has uh, importance in our lives, we need to actually plan towards it. Who's bought Christmas presents already? Who is waiting for the last minute? Who is waiting for somebody else to do it for them? (laughs) I love it. But it's interesting that although we celebrate Christmas as the birth of our Saviour Jesus Christ, it doesn't have the the gravitas, the importance, the sort of the the uh, impact that other Christian like Easter, for instance, has. Easter's a really serious time. You can, we can get people into church and we can present them with Jesus Christ crucified on the cross, blood everywhere, a serious situation, a lot of suffering, and it has an impact on people. People can see the sacrifice that Jesus made. But when it comes to Christmas, it's an important festival, but sometimes for the wrong reasons. And there are two reasons that... These reasons actually make it easy to get people into church, but they make it difficult for people to take Jesus' birth seriously as the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. And the first one is, of course, it's not a Christian celebration. Anybody ever heard that? Because the Christians pinched it from the pagans. Christmas is actually just something that we put, because we discovered that the Germanic tribes had, had a, a, a festival called Yule. Have anybody ever heard of a Yule log? Yes. Uh, apart from actually being a real piece of wood, I think there's actually a recipe where you can, you can make an edible version of it. But the whole idea of, uh, and we don't tend to put logs on fires on Christmas Day because the CFS comes and finds us heavily. Um, but in Europe and, and Britain and places like that, they bring this huge log into the house um, which they often stored for a long time because it was a waste of resources having this huge... And they'd burn it all at once. There'd be this fire. They'd roast chestnuts and marshmallows. If they had marshmallows, I'm not sure. Um, and it was a great time of celebration. And, of course, the Romans, the Romans had a, uh, a festival called Saturnalia, which, of course, um, celebrated their god Saturn, for whom the planet is named after, and also yesterday, which was Saturday is named after the Roman god Saturn. There you go, a bit of interesting information. Um, So, we get that a lot, the fact that the Christian celebration of Jesus' birth is actually just something we've transplanted from pagan festivals to make it convenient for us. Because people know that it's unlikely that Jesus was actually born on the 25th of December. So, I'll come to that in a minute. The second thing, of course, that makes it less impactful is that we find it difficult to get people to understand the importance of Jesus Christ because when you look at Christmas, guess what? He's a baby. He's tiny. I mean, how much power does a baby wield? Actually, every mother knows that a huge amount. (laughs) But when when you invite people to Christmas, they come along because it's harmless. You know, it's just a baby. It's in a manger and there's cows and familiar things. Not sure that cows are all that familiar these days. But it's a non-threatening, which makes it easy to get people into church, but if we want people to understand the significance of Christ in Christmas, it actually, it's really hard. Who, who would like to change that? Who would like to make Christmas a bit more powerful? 
This morning, I'm going to put some tools into your hands to make that possible, and I expect to see results. Okay? If it's come and sort of prayed, if every seat here isn't filled on Christmas Eve, you're going to have to answer to me. Okay? Okay, that's my tough speech. Right. So let's tackle, let's tackle the first one. So the first thing is we're not sure about the date. The second thing, it appears to have pagan origins. Now that works two ways. You can find a lot of Christians who say, yeah, but that just shows the supremacy of Jesus because we took over all the other minor deities and, and made a Christian festival which shows that they're all weak and Jesus is strong. Fair enough. The atheists will then turn around and say, well, yeah, but Christianity is derivative because they couldn't think of their own festivals because they weren't even sure about the date of the birth of their saviour, so they pinched somebody else's. So the argument works both ways. And the third thing is that Christmas has been hijacked by commercialism. Now, unfortunately, there's not really a lot we can do about the third one. But the first two, we can actually counter with something that isn't fiction. And the problem with this whole idea that we stole it from pagan festivals is actually a, a modernistic idea that, that comes from the fact that we like to compress history. Because history, who knows, history is a long time. Yeah. And uh, just to illustrate that, I want you to turn your eyes to the screen and I want you to watch this clip here and tell me if you can guess which movie this comes from. So, who's seen Gladiator? Who enjoyed the movie? Who knows it's fiction? Nobody? <laughs> it, it, you will notice in the credits that no Roman filmmaker has been credited whatsoever. And the thing is, we know it's fiction, but we expect that filmmakers are actually very good at determining what Rome would have looked like. And they have. They have actually put a perfect picture of what Rome was like. But if you look carefully at the background in that and in most of the rest of the movie, what you discover that they've done to make it look rich and appealing to the audience, they have actually taken over 400 years of Roman history and compressed it into a movie that at the best goes, spans one man's lifetime. It's really only part of one man's lifetime. But if you look at the costumes and the armour and the, the weaponry that's employed in that movie, it actually spans 400 years of history. Some of those things didn't exist when Maximus was around, if he was around. If you, you know that scene where they murder his son and he comes up to the villa that he lives in? That's actually an Italian Renaissance villa that wasn't built until a thousand years after he died. <laughs> um, but the thing is, we look at those and we expect them to be historically accurate, even if we know the story is not. 
And the thing is about history is we assume that. It's a bit like if somebody a thousand years in the future made a movie about 1990 and they incorporated costumes from the 20th century all the way from 1900 to the year 2000 and put them all into one film. And so you have people with iPads working next to people with typewriters or dictaphones or, and people wearing flapper dresses and mini skirts and uh, the hippie era with no bras and people with corsets and, and they'd all be mixed in together. And we would laugh. We'd think, how stupid were they? That's ridiculous. There's a hundred years of history there and they think that it happened like that. But we look at history like that. We think that's what Rome looked like. Because we're... I mean, we're not, it's not that we're fed rubbish, it's because it, history is so long that we, we try and sort of put it into manageable little packets. And so the same thing has actually happened with the whole idea of Christmas. You see, birthdays were not celebrated at all until about 200 years after Jesus died. The whole idea of birthdays was a, a, a non-event. People just didn't celebrate birthdays. I mean, when you asked how old somebody was, they usually told you in how many summers they'd seen. They didn't say how many years old they were. They sort of guessed that, yeah, I reckon I've seen about 20 summers. So it wasn't, well, my birthday's on the 18th of August and I'm 20 years old. And so it was about 200 years, which is a long time, before birthdays started to be celebrated. And then people started to look at Jesus' birthday. Now, during this time... Christians weren't exactly a big lobby group. They were actually severely persecuted. And if some Christian had suggested, let's hijack a pagan festival, they would have been thrown to the lions twice as fast as they would have been normally. It's not like we had the clout to actually come and say, well, we're going to take over your festival. They'd say, die, Christian, die. And And that would be the end of that. It wasn't until 400 years after Jesus' death that the Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity and the Roman Empire became Christian. Now, when the Emperor's a Christian, you can say, right, well, I'm taking over your festival and there's nothing you can do about it. Die, pagan, die. (laughs) The shoe is on the other foot. So, we're looking at a different timeline here. December the 25th and January the 6th were actually the dates for Jesus' birth that were, were taken by various Christian groups in this time, before people thought of taking over pagan festivals. And you might think, well, why on earth did they pick those times? Why, why January the 25th, if it happens to fall on somebody else's festival? Well, it actually, interestingly enough, comes back to Jew- Jewish tradition. You see, we're fairly certain about Jesus' death. Although, depending on which scholars you listen to, it's either March the 25th or April the 6th. And in Jewish tradition, people didn't link the birth of someone to their death. They linked the conception of somebody to their death. And if Jesus died on March the 25th, what date is nine months after that? December the 25th. Now, the Orthodox Church believes that he was born on April, uh, he was conceived, sorry, on April the 6th, and therefore the Orthodox Church celebrates Christmas on January the 6th. And never the twain have met so far, but it's pretty close. In fact, how many days apart is it? 
12. Hence, the 12 days of Christmas. The Western Church celebrates uh, January the 6th as the, um, another festival. Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, it actually celebrates the arrival of the uh, three wise men. can't remember what they call it now. And I didn't write it down, which was naughty of me. So the thing is that it's actually a Jewish tradition that Jesus' conception and his death are caught up intimately. Now, we look at that and we think, well, scientifically, that's, that's a bit strange. But the thing is, for people who complain that we abducted a pagan festival, it's actually not true. The timelines do not match. Our ability to take over somebody else's ideas happened far later than the actual idea that Jesus' birthday was on December the 25th. It's separated by centuries. Now, in history, you sort of think, well, 2,000 years, a couple of centuries, what difference does it make? Well, if you're living in that, now, what's the difference between 1982 and the year 2015? This thing took up a room, and you had to wait in line to use it. And so, I mean, things didn't move quite as fast in Roman times, but um, it just doesn't match up. So Christmas, the 25th of December, may not actually be Jesus' birthday but it isn't actually stolen from any other traditions. It's actually part of Jewish tradition. And so when people come to you and say, well, Jesus, Christmas, I might have a drink. I've got all excited and hot and bothered. How about you? Excited? Hot and bothered, both? Well, excited will do. I'll do a Phil Pringle. You're not that hot and bothered. Okay, so that should give you a bit more confidence that when people come to you and say, well, it's not really a Christian festival after all, you can say, aha, let me tell you about this. Or you can ring me up and ask me to explain it because you've forgotten what I've said. The second point about Christian celebrations is how do we market a newborn as creator of the universe? For all of those involved in advertising, this is, this is one of those things where, look, you know, how, how do we get people to believe? How do we... How do we encourage people to understand how we see Jesus when he's just a baby in a manger? You know, he's a newborn in a not very clean place, in not very good circumstances, and you know, royalty doesn't mix. And so it's interesting that we actually need to have the perspective of a child. Jesus talks about this during his ministry. Um, And the child I want to use this morning is the little drummer boy. Who's ever heard the song? Who knows that we've heard about the shepherds keeping watch? We've heard about the, the magi. Who's heard of the magi? I've heard some, they're the three wise men, by the way. They were known as magi. Do you know why they were known as magi? They were sorcerers. I mean, we talk about the three wise men who came to worship Jesus like they were Christians. They were pagan sorcerers from the east who saw a star, read their divinations, sort of chopped sheep in half and read the entrails and thought, we've got to go and see this guy. Sometimes it amazes me that three men from a totally different religious persuasion travelled thousands of miles to come and worship a king they didn't know and didn't yet believe in. And we wonder why Jesus loved the whole earth. 
they had the sense to know that this baby was king. Whereas we as Christians struggle with the concept. And we know about the innkeeper who told Mary and Joseph to get stuffed because there wasn't any room and they had to go into the um, stable. And we know that Herod issued an edict to kill all children under two years old. But then there's a the little drummer boy. Matthew 1 verse 11 doesn't mention him. Nor do any other verses in Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. Or Acts or the Old Testament or the New Testament. The little drummer boy is a fictitious character. I just thought I'd make that clear from the start. And he's a fictitious character in a popular Christmas song that was written by Catherine Kennicott David in 1941. Interestingly, the first people to record it were the Von Trapp family singers in 1955. But the most common version is by some ensemble in 1958. I just thought I'd let you know that. So the, 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 the song since 1958 has actually become legendary in, in, for Christmas. It's one of, those, one of those incredibly intriguing songs. And the thing is that although the little drummer boy didn't exist, we can learn a lot from the story that the songwriter tells us. Matthew 18, chapters 3 and 4. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus recognises the importance of children. And yet, he also recognises the kingship of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 17, we read that he is the God who made the world and everything in it. This is this little baby, remember? Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. We know that a barn is hardly a temple. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. So even if we were the, the three wise men bringing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, Jesus didn't actually need those. There is actually nothing that we can bring before him that he needs. And so when we, when we listen to the song, at a casual listen, it's really very simplistic, and the only words we can remember are pa-ra-pa-pum-pum. Because it happens 21 times throughout the song. You sort of thought, there must have been a filler idea that went along. And so if we, if we look up there, we can see that this is just the first verse. And so it's so full of parapapum-pums, it's hard to actually know what's going on in the song. And so it's actually the little drummer boy narrating. And if we get rid of the rapapum-pums and look at the text of the song... It's actually quite short. And it starts off with the Magi recruiting the little drummer boy to come and join them on their journey to see Jesus. Come, they told me, a newborn king to see. Our finest gifts we bring him to lay before the king. So honour him when we come. I mean, as a boy, that would be, that'd be a bit intimidating because he agrees to come along and yet he knows he doesn't have gifts to share and so we fast forward to verse 2. And he's gathered around the young Jesus. And he speaks to Jesus. And he says, little baby, I am a poor boy too. 
I have no gift to bring that's fit to give the king. So to honour him, uh, so shall I pray for you on my drum? Is that what I said? I meant play. I wasn't being religious. I I apologise. Now, the interesting thing is that the first thing that Mary does is nod. What woman in her right mind would invite a drummer into the baby's bedroom and ask him to play? I mean, come on! Shh, okay, come and just play quietly. (laughs) Because, I don't know about you, but babies tend to be disturbed by loud noises. Except for Toby, who'd probably love the whole idea. But Mary nods her approval, and it says, Mary nodded, the ox and lamb kept time. I suspect that's not true. (laughs) But it says, I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. And then he smiled at me. Me and my drum. You see, Jesus smiled. And at this point, even though we know that this isn't historical, we know that it actually could have happened and in fact does happen in different forms every day and it has for thousands and thousands of years. 2,000. Worshippers of Jesus invite their neighbours, friends, family to consider him, to come and see him, if it were. And when they do, if they would believe, a moment happens when they realise that their inadequacy as human beings is exposed. Just like this little boy who comes and he's in the presence of these great kings and wise men who have incredible gifts and he says, I've got nothing. All I can do is play this drum. Will you accept my drum? And that's the same as us. and It's the same as the people that we bring to Christmas. They see Jesus, and if they comprehend his glory, they look at themselves. And we look at ourselves, and we need to recognize that we are broken. We are empty and poor. We have nothing to bring the king that even comes close to representing the honour that he deserves. All we have is our drum. Jesus, will you accept our drum? Because you see, that's all of us. It's me. That's you. We are the little drummer boy when we come before Jesus. See, we'd like to be the three wise men. No, just me. Three wise women. That have arrived early, tidied up the stable, brought a casserole. But it was three wise men. They were late. Six days. Gee, twelve, sorry. Anyway. But, but, but they brought such great, great gifts. Gold. I mean, you know, baby's born gold. I got gold at my, when I was born. I've still got it. It's a half sovereign. Probably worth about 20 bucks. Frankincense, don't know what I'd do with it, but it's probably really nice to have. And myrrh, sounds sort of myrrh, but that's probably important as well. Is it, would they use it in perfume? Or is that frankincense? Oh, okay. Ooh. Okay, that's a bit morbid. Let's move on. So, 
We play our drum. We play for Jesus Christ. We play our best for him, declaring that we are small, that we are weak, that he actually doesn't need us in the least. But that with all we are, with every little speck of nothing that we have, we give it to him. To him, our God, to Jesus Christ. This is the message of Christmas. It's not a question of how other people come to Christ. It's not about how other people understand Christmas. The secret is in how we understand Christmas. Because if we understand the power of the faith of a small child, then the people we bring will understand that power. The king has no lack. He doesn't need anything. But in giving everything we have to him, we become his. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Me and my drum are all his. Now this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus as your king or your saviour, I invite you to come out here on this altar and join me, and I'd love to pray with you for Jesus to fill your heart. But, before you come, I would like to extend that invitation to anyone who wants to be filled again, not in the sense of your salvation, but in the sense of that humility, that joy, that understanding that when we come before Jesus, we come with nothing. Absolutely nothing. But in coming with nothing, but doing our best, it changes our relationship with Jesus forever. If you want that feeling back, if you want to bring something new to this Christmas, I invite you to come out onto this altar as well, just to refresh, recharge and renew. So if that's you, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to do it this morning, I invite you, let everybody stand. I invite you to come out the front and we'll pray a prayer together. But also, if you just want to rekindle that humility, that sense of what Jesus has brought into your life, I want you to come too. Because we can all pray that prayer together because I believe it will change this Christmas for all of us if we can take hold of that, that understanding that though we have nothing to give, Jesus accepts that nothing as though it was the most precious thing on earth. So come, let's pray together. Come on, anybody who wants to come, whether it's the first time or whether you just want, you just want Christmas to be different this year, you want to have a spirit of understanding that the King of Kings loves us, will take whatever we have to give.
but doesn't actually need it. If we can transfer that to the people that we invite, I believe that we will see hearts changed. Can I get you to reach your hands out to these people and join us? Because as this song plays, I want us to pray that prayer that invites Jesus into our hearts because we are humble enough to accept him into that most private and deep of places. So you guys out here, I want you to repeat after me and you, can, you guys out there can repeat the same prayer. Father in heaven, today I give my life entirely to your son Jesus. Whatever I have to give, however small it may be, I give to you, Jesus. I thank you that in your mercy and in your grace, you accept anything I have to give. Lord, I acknowledge that you are my saviour, that you do not need me, but I need you. I commit my life from this day forth to your service. I am your son. I am your daughter. I am your child. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's make Christmas this year different. Let's go into it with a confidence and a knowledge that we can actually impact people's lives with a confidence that it's not just a frivolous festival because, you know, somebody came up late with the idea of Jesus' birthday. It's actually something seeped in the tradition of Jesus' people. And it's something which actually has power in Jesus' birth as much as it has power in Jesus' resurrection. We can change people's lives this Christmas if we hold on to our faith, we express our faith without the uncertainty that people would try to inject into the festival of Christmas. Let's make this Christmas different.